welcome to Y11 Audio. I'm Alex Alvarado. Thank you for listening. This is Ypsilanti's College Football Podcast, and you can read Ypsilanti's College Football Newsletter at ypsi11.com. Minnesota week. Tonight, I'm recording Thursday uh, minutes, minutes even, before the NFL kicks off. Uh, I'm going to have to hurry this up and get to the Lions game. Of course, that's my team. Thankfully, I don't have to record a lot right now because I did most of my recording for this episode a couple of days ago, or was it yesterday? I can't remember. Everything's all kind of blending in at this point. It's that time of year, baby. I talked to Ryan Burns from Gopher Illustrated of the 24-7 Sports um, Media Landscape. He's doing things covering the Gophers. He's been doing it for a really, really long time. He's been covering PJ Fleck his entire time in there, so he definitely has a good gauge of what to expect out of this team, what this team's done, etc. I'm excited for it, man. I'm excited for it. I know if you're an Eastern fan, if you, you know, if you've been champing at the bit for this, yep, I said champing at the bit. This is going to be a really, really exciting game because if, 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 big if, EMU comes away with a win, of course it means so much for, you know, all the things that are worth bragging about five power five wins in seven years. What's everybody else in the Mac doing? Have you guys all done that? Look, look at us, you know, we've done it. A great thing to boast, you know, how big of a turnaround the program has had, right? Very good thing to point to. This Minnesota team is not going to be easy. It might not have all of like, your favorite players that you know you want to be scared of coming into it they don't have like that Malik Willis you know they don't have that kind of guy over there but they have they have a bunch of good players over in Minnesota PJ Fleck knows what he's doing we've all known this we've known this for at least a decade now uh, Minnesota is of course one and zero after it came back and beat Nebraska 13 to 10 at home wasn't the prettiest of wins in the world, but you know what? It was a win. It was a hard-fought win. Um, it's not a win that, I don't know, everybody like eats some humble pie and it's not supposed to taste good. Minnesota definitely tasted a little bit of that, but they also knew that, and they still know that they're going through some changes. They're going through pains. It's going to take a while before it looks the way it wants to because of the guys that had kind of graduated, first-year quarterback being the biggest factor probably. But it's got a lot going right for itself, man. Minnesota's not going to be an easy task. And it's not that, you know, if there's like any hesitation to will Eastern win, if there's any hesitation to you saying that, it's not because, you know, they have the Randy Mosses over there or anything like that. We don't think Minnesota's going to get to 30 points by halftime. But what what is within... Minnesota's capabilities is limiting the other side from reaching 20. Last year, they held teams to 10. We're close to it. What was it? Yeah, last year, Minnesota was fourth in the nation, averaging, te- letting teams score uh, two touchdowns at most on average against them. 13.8 points per game allowed for Minnesota's defense. Some of that is by proxy of playing in the Big Ten West. Some of that is by proxy of just having incredibly sound defense 
an incredibly well coached defense, incredibly, you know, a, when I'm rewatching this game, I'm rewatching it as we talk right now a little bit. Right now it's on commercial. I could probably fast forward through this. But as I rewatch this Minnesota game that it just had last week, they're great at communicating. There's a whole bunch of football stuff that they're great at, but getting 11 dudes to talk things out, not easy. Not easy. But as a guy myself, it's not easy. And they found 11 dudes to talk through a lot of their problems and to try to get themselves, you know, well situated and all that stuff because it's that's not like a thing that we talk about a lot in football. We kind of talk about football in terms of projection numbers, talent, raw talent, speed, maturity, just pure athleticism sometimes. But being teammates in real time before the snap kind of doesn't really sit well in our memory banks. Not that like we hate it or anything like that. Not that it's like, oh, why are they talking? It's not like that. But we remember plays. We don't remember the way plays get set up. Unless you think too hard about it, you're not going to remember too much of like how teams communicate unless things go sour. You might remember fights. You can definitely remember when teams go through fights on the sidelines. But watch but like I've been covering sports, especially like when I worked at the newspaper, like I I think where I got better at noticing how teams communicate was like when I covered division three basketball. And like I covered sports before I got that job, obviously, but covering how teams communicate in real time was not like a thing I focused on until I actually had to like you know get creative with my you know my newspaper writing and actually talk to people about like how they're playing the sports at their level because like the stakes are whatever the stakes were you know at d3 and of course this is a different thing right but the point of the matter still remains the same where communication is noticeable if you look for it because guys do have to talk. Guys do have to talk to each other before the plays. You know, it isn't just like getting the, you know, getting the signal in on the sideline, lining up, and then hitting each other in the head. You know, after that, there's way more that has to be said from player to player, you know, in a very compressed window of time. Uh, and that window of time is whenever they snap the ball. You know, that's when, that's when it's defined is when the offense snaps the ball. Minnesota does a great job of setting their dogs up for success. And when I say dogs, man, they got some players on that defense. They got some players on that defense. Number 92, number 93, number 97 on their defensive line. They're all going to cause problems for the O-line. One note I want to throw out there, though. Uh, It was tweeted out uh, by play-by-play announcer Tom Helmer for Eastern Michigan. Tyler Newbin, last year he led the team with four interceptions. Against Nebraska, Newbin had two interceptions. Uh, So that's six already in the past two seasons. The tweet read, Minnesota defensive back Tyler Newbin has strong Michigan ties. His dad, Rodney, played defensive back at EMU. His mom, Sharice, ran track and field at EMU. His uncle, Joe, played football at EMU. And his other uncle, Steve King, was a DB for Michigan. 
he's definitely going to be primed to be like one of the top draft picks once that time comes around um, against Eastern, you know, who wants to show more of what they're capable of in their downfield passing, I'm sure. Uh, I don't know what windows of success of success will be allowed in those plays. I guess that's the right way of saying it. Um, it it's, it's just going to be a really good defense to go up against, man. Uh, the pass rushing is going to be insane, especially if they draw up anything creative to throw EMU's O-line off their game. I don't know. The, the defense is going to give the offense some fits. Have to pick up some explosive plays, but you got to find them. You got to find them first. They weren't, you know, for whatever reason, you know, you want to say, they weren't there against Howard. 50 snaps, it's hard to find them, but only ran explosive plays 2% of the time. You, you definitely could do could do more against teams like Howard. Would love to show more against teams like Minnesota if it's possible. Uh, the one guy that like a lot of people already know about Minnesota kind of coming in or like are getting excited about, we're getting excited about, obviously it's the quarterback, the Greek rifle. Uh, behind him, if you know, if you've been following Eastern and the recruiting, you know about Drew Fiato, uh, former Eastern commit, flipped to Minnesota in last year's signing class. The Canadian Cannon is his nickname. Uh, yeah, he'll be on the sidelines over there for Minnesota. We'll probably not see him at all. Um, but we will see Ethan Kaliak Manis. Great, great big body, you know, but great potential as a thrower. Don't really love him as a runner. That's totally fine. He's got some ways to go as a passer, but he's in a lot of ways. Man, the mental makeup is like already there. Like I already see it in him. I love the way he can throw in motion. I shouldn't say in motion. I love the way he throws in rhythm. He's man, he's going to be a problem if he gets cooking. Um Again, I talked uh, we, we talk about it later in my interview uh, with Ryan Burns, but last game, he threw it 44 times. Uh, they essentially threw the ball two-thirds of the time, but Minnesota is a team that would much rather run the ball two-thirds of the time. I know the run defense is going to be a big, 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 big factor here. It's going to be Minnesota's run defense versus whatever we can get out of Samson Evans, Jalen Evans, Jalen Jackson, and all the other running backs that, you know, we frankly have not really seen yet. You know, McMillan, the Weber State transfer, he didn't really play on offense against Howard. Haven't really seen much of Elijah Jackson Anderson yet. Deion Brown, of course, just got here. Saw a little bit of Bryson Moss again against Howard. I'm not sure how much he'll be used in the Minnesota game, um, but he's there if we need him. If the offensive line has problems against the defense, it's going to be it's going to be an issue to get the run game going. The run game is definitely going to be established to set up the pass. I don't think it can work the other way around against Minnesota. I don't think so. I think Minnesota is just way too talented in the defensive secondary, um, and I don't think Eastern's just strong enough at receiver just yet. I think they're very, very skilled, and I think they're very talented, and, you know, blah, 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 blah. I think Eastern's got, you know, Eastern might have one of the better receiving rooms. However, we haven't seen it yet. 
Like, not really. Glimpses, but we haven't really seen it. We haven't read full-on box scores where Hamza Elzai, eight catches, 76 yards, two touchdowns. J.B. Mitchell, three catches, 45 yards. Uh, Mikhail Wood, two catches, 84 yards. I don't know. We haven't seen that yet. Jamping at the bit for it, hoping for it, but we just haven't seen it yet. So how can you, I shouldn't say you, but how can, how can I, from my chair, just, you know, say confidently without like, you know, having the knowledge and having seen it all happen yet. We just haven't seen it unfold. So this is one of those things where it's college football, man. We're not supposed to know everything. Like if we know everything, then that's a problem. We, as in like people with less access than the opposing coaching staffs, right? And if we know the secret sauce, you know, then that's bad. And that means like PJ Fleck can like have things figured out. So there's going to be plays, there's going to be designs, there's going to be some creativity that Chris Creighton's going to throw out there that PJ Fleck probably has not seen before. The last time PJ Fleck met up with Coach Creighton was 2016. Of course, that was a long, long time ago now. Things have totally, totally changed for both sides. Obviously, P.J. Fleck is not running a MAC championship-level monster right now, and Eastern Michigan is not nearly as bad as it was. Um, I mean, 2016 was still good because it like, made it to the first bowl game, but still, it, it's not nearly at that level. So it should be a really, really exciting game. Um, a lot of those guys that were just standing on the sidelines not dressed – sure they'll be just fine. I'm sure we'll see Josh Scott. I'm sure we'll see Jesus Gomez. I'm sure we'll see Chase Klein. We're not going to see Carter Evans, of course, because he's hurt for the year. But some of those guys, hey, a couple of them might be hurt. But I have a strong feeling that uh, some of those guys will be just fine and will suit up this Saturday. Uh, So yeah, I think that will do it for me. Uh, The whole point of this podcast was to get you ready for Minnesota week, you know, get to know the team a little bit more. Um, of course, I introduced it mostly just by watching the Nebraska game, but Ryan Burns on the other end, he's got a lot more intel. So let's switch over to that. And I am with Ryan Burns of Gopher Illustrated uh, of 24-7 Sports. Or how do you pronounce it? Because I've, I've always said 24-7 Sports. And then once I've heard other people say it out loud, say 247 Sports or any other variation, I'm like, what? <laughs> uh, I say it probably a multitude of different ways. I think just off the top of the head, 24-7 Sports is usually what I go with. So was there never supposed to be like a, a universal... <laughs> Nail down of saying it. I just think so many people say it so many different ways, and that at the end of the day, we're all saying the same thing. <laughs> I think Fair that's enough. probably the most important thing that matters. Fair enough. Uh, obviously, talking to you because uh, Minnesota Eastern Michigan is going to be a real life football game that's going to be coming up this weekend. Um, the season started last week. I just want to get you know your initial reactions, just because Minnesota got started with the Nebraska game, thirteen to ten. Um, that's fresh in everyone's mind. Let's just get that one out of the way. 
for the eastern side the eastern fans that watched it saw you know a hard-fought team go up against you know a new nebraska squad new in like the matt rule sense right uh 13 to 10 finish in your win in, in minnesota's win i should say but if you're an eastern fan fans were probably saying there wasn't a lot there to say that minnesota's definitely going to win by 30 hundred this saturday uh what's minnesota's ultimate takeaway from this that they found a way to beat Nebraska for the fifth straight time, which is the first time that's happened since the late 40s, 1945 to 1949. Seemingly so many times in this five-game winning streak, especially the last two years since they're so fresh, those are games Minnesota should have lost, yet they just find a way to win. And I think back to those games or the game on Thursday night, Minnesota was incredibly inefficient on offense. Uh, They struggled to run the football, which has certainly not been the M.O. of a P.J. Fleck-led team. They want to be running the ball 35 times a game, ideally with some efficiency, but Minnesota runs the ball for 58 yards with their tailbacks, which obviously is not going to get it done most days, or even through the air. They threw the ball 44 times for under 200 passing yards, and if you're averaging about four yards per attempt as an offense, that's not very good. So... It was a lot of different things, I think, that culminated to that with the first-time real play caller in Greg Harbo, someone that called a couple of games at Western Michigan back in the day. But this was his first time doing it at Minnesota. You got Ethan Kaliak-Manis, the quarterback. First game really being the guy and struggling at times, making some throws at times. You're looking at a run offense without a second-round center in John Michael Schmitz, who's now with the New York Giants. Uh, they're all world running back from a year ago, and Muhammad Ibrahim no longer here. There was just so many moving parts, I would say, on offense that how does Minnesota end up only scoring 13 points? Well, that's how it happens. And then defensively, I think there were everything they were hoping for, forcing four, turno- forcing four turnovers, only allowing 10 points, and seven of them came off one of the most discombobulated trick play touchdowns I've ever witnessed. So... There's a lot of things to take away defensively for the good. Offensively, they've got a lot to clean up. And then special teams, that's where Minnesota struggled at times uh, last week as well. So you look at Eastern Michigan having two kickoff return touchdowns. I can about assure you that Minnesota's going to try to boot the ball through the end zone every time. Uh, P.J. Fleck is, of course, not a head coach that uh, Eastern Michigan is, you know, hasn't heard of before. As you said, previously coached at Western Michigan. Uh, in the three times that he came up against Chris Creighton, uh, the current coach at Eastern, uh, three straight wins for P.J. Fleck, 51-7 in 2014, 58-28 the year after, 45-31 to, 45 to 31, uh, in 2016, the year that Western won the MAC title, 45-27 um, leading Minnesota. Of course, when people hear P.J. Fleck, they think, crazy man. Uh, but the football sense, <laughs> things are going pretty well for him. You know, he's he's winning everywhere he's going. Uh, not COVID year speaking, the only losing season he's had at Minnesota was his first year there. And it was just a 5-7 and seven season. On paper, that's not too bad, speaking from uh, my seat in Ypsilanti. How has, what's your view on how PJ has done over at Minnesota? And what sort of expectations does he bring uh, year in and year out there? I think he's exceeded expectations, honestly. I mean, you look at the last three full seasons, 2019, 2021, 2022, they've won nine or more games. And we're talking the University of Minnesota, a football program that largely, for most of my lifetime, has been largely very mediocre at best. A team that 
getting to a bowl game would be an accomplishment. I think Fleck has certainly raised the floor and the ceiling here, looking back at that 2019 season where they won 11 games, won nine games the last two seasons. I think if they get anywhere close to that, considering their schedule here in 2023, it'd be arguably Fleck's best coaching job of his career, considering uh, Ohio State and Michigan are on the schedule. you got to travel to Iowa, who's a ranked team, and Minnesota hasn't won there in 24 years. But I think when you look at what P.J. Fleck wants to do, I mean, his one of his biggest mentors is Jim Trestle. And we always joke here in the Minnesota media that he loves to play Trestle ball. He wants to sit on the football. He wants to take care of the football. And he wants to win the explosive plays because it turns out at the end of the day, if you don't turn over the football and you force more turnovers than the other team, if you can generate more explosive plays and give up less, uh, obviously, defensively, you're probably going to be in a really good spot at the end of the game to win. And that's where Minnesota historically here, at least recently, has been a big time of possession team because of their ground game. Now, I think that's going to look a little bit different for Eastern Michigan fans on Saturday. That's not how this Minnesota offense is constructed. But there's certainly some things that Fleck has done really well. And I think to me, for someone who's been here for the entirety of his time here, I think he has surpassed the expectations because not only has he raised the floor of the program to where a 7-8 win season what I think leaves some people potentially feeling disappointed, but you've also also you've also seen some ceiling seasons where you've won eleven games like they did in twenty nineteen. You know, like independent of this Eastern game coming up, because the, no matter how it's how it happens, you know, both sides are going to have to fly past this and take on their Big Ten and max schedules and play out the seasons that they're really really looking forward to. Um, but what are like the levels of, like? What is the expectation for Minnesota this year? Uh, how is it supposed to stand out? You know, in the Mac. In, God, I was about to call it the Mac East. Good, good lord! That, <laughs> in its division, how do you think Minnesota is going to fare? And is this going to be one of the juggernauts of the Big Ten East? See, I can say it. Well, in the West, I West, think yeah, that. You know. uh, yeah, you're all good. I, I think Minnesota is probably a tier below the Wisconsin's and the Iowas and. Even potentially even the Illinois of the world this year, just because of how difficult their schedule is going to be, where you have those conference games, those crossovers against Ohio State and Michigan, and the rest, those top other three teams, either only have one of them or none of them. Now, you can make an argument that maybe Penn State's better than, say, Ohio State this year, potentially. We'll see. But this is still a schedule that's very daunting because in two weeks or the week after they go face Eastern Michigan here at home, they have to travel to Chapel Hill to take on one of the best quarterbacks in college football, a likely Heisman contender in Drake May, another ranked team that they got to play on the road. So I think expectations for them this year are probably somewhere around seven wins. That's what I predicted them to be. I think the Vegas line for overall wins was right about that seven, seven and a half. If they go above that, obviously a great season. If they go below that and just make a bowl game and they got to head to Michigan to uh, spend Christmas night in Detroit before they play in the quick lane bowl, I mean, obviously it's a disappointing season. But Mm -hmm. it comes down to how Minnesota does in, I think, some of these coin flip games. And what I deem those are are games like the Wisconsin's, the Iowa's, the Illinois's, or even the North Carolina's the world. Because talent-wise, I think they're in that same tier. But how you think Minnesota comes out of those games is going to either put them at six and six, say if they lose all four, or if they go three and one, it's a likely trip to Indianapolis. Now, I think the most likely scenario is winning one, maybe two of those games. But I think Minnesota's got the talent to compete for a West title. It just comes down to can they win some of these daunting road games? 
for like I feel like the the expectation level is like rising a little bit with PJ Fleck. At least like nationally, there's at least more respect going on. Um, but as the Big Ten's kind of growing, ballooning up with now Oregon, Washington coming in, we already knew that USC and UCLA is coming in. Um, it, it's going to be a growing conference. Does is there like a sense that Minnesota might get squeezed out at some point in some way? I don't know that I've got that sense. Um, you know, I obviously have seen what's happening with schools like Washington State, Oregon State, and they don't have a conference anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I thought for a few different times, like if the Big Ten would have been the one imploding instead of the Pac-12, maybe Minnesota's on that chopping block where they aren't potentially included. But I think Minnesota's a bigger brand than, say, the Oregon States or the Washington States of the world. I think that... As the Big Ten continues to expand, now we'll see how it looks with 18, potentially 20 teams eventually whenever this thing all settles down. But I think you're going to still be able to keep the regional rivalries alive, which Wisconsin and Iowa every year is what Gopher fans want. Uh, That's what was going to be protected underneath the old new schedule. And I say the old new schedule because the one that came out in June for next year has already been nullified when they announced the additions of Oregon and Washington State. But I think Minnesota is still going to have a place, obviously, in the Big Ten. But I'll tell you, just personally, I'm not going to miss traveling to Ryan Field, which is Northwestern, to watch a dreadful Northwestern team with about 4,000 people in the stadium for a sleepy 11 o'clock game. I'm excited to travel to places like Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA, just to see something different than Champaign, West Lafayette, or, like I said, Ryan Field. Yeah, absolutely. Um, looking up to looking forward to this game. Uh, let's look at Minnesota's offense and Minnesota's defense really quickly. Uh, already re- referenced Greg Harbaugh, who's going to be uh, first time play caller uh, at his position uh, at Minnesota, I should say. Uh, did that Western, of course. One player I do want to focus on, though, is Daniel Jackson, because, you know, if you're an Eastern fan, you already know about the Western guys who have transferred in, and you probably already have your thoughts on Corey Crooms and Sean Tyler, who was a two time thousand yard running back at western michigan but daniel jackson he had a really nice touchdown grab against nebraska uh what's it been like covering him and what are your thoughts on how he'll help lead this offense also trying to break in a new quarterback uh throwing to him too yeah daniel jackson is someone that has gotten a lot better in the last 12 months someone who to start the 2022 season, we actually missed time because of a high ankle sprain that he had during fall camp, found his footing towards the middle of the season and really had a couple of his best games against Wisconsin and then Syracuse in the bowl game where he scores three touchdowns in his final two games. And then you're around this team in the offseason, spring ball, summer, fall camp. And I'll tell you this, the, the drum beat for him was consistently getting louder and more, uh, I guess, prevalent, I would say, in terms of his ability to continue to develop. Minnesota's obviously got some talented pass catchers like Corey Crooms, who you'll see quite a bit featured in the slot on Saturday. They got a guy like Chris Ottman-Bell, one-time Western Michigan commit, has 125 career catches here at Minnesota. He's still being worked back from knee surgery. Got one of the best tight ends in the Big Ten and Brevin Spanford, who's a likely top 100 draft pick in the next NFL draft. But it's Jackson who is the one who led them with 16 targets in a game, which I don't know when the last time was that a gopher – pass catcher had that many targets now minnesota also doesn't throw the ball 44 times very often 
but he's someone that's not the biggest in the world, Jackson. Mm-hmm. He's not the fastest, but he is great at creating separation. If you were to go back and watch that touchdown catch, you'll see how crazy of, you know, I've never seen kind of a receiver do the Air Jordan and have the awareness to know that I got to lift my front foot, tap my back foot. But the route to even get open was felonious in the lower 48 states and the District of Columbia. I mean, the amount of space he created there was very special. And that's what makes him such a good player is the ability to get open. So you're going to see a lot of Jackson outside. You're going to see a lot of Corey Crooms in the slot, who's a definite upgrade in terms of what Minnesota's had there in recent seasons. And then you'll see Brevin Span forward as well. I think those will be the top three pass-catching targets for Ethan Kelly McManus on Saturday. And you already kind of said it like a couple times that, you know, because they threw it so much, that was kind of a bad sign. Uh, and don't expect more of that. But just in case, you know, just if, you know, if Eastern fans are reading the box score in real time and, you know, trying to figure things out, if, you know, they're watching the game and Minnesota's throwing the ball two-thirds of the time, that's a good sign that, for speaking as an Eastern person, that's a good sign Correct. that things are going wrong for the Gophers, right? 100%. Minnesota wants to be <laughs> wants to be able to run the football. That's been a PJ for like staple from his time at Western uh, to his time here at Minnesota. But... If Minnesota can't run the football again, I mean, then I know, he, at least myself personally, I'm, I'm really going to have some doubts here about uh, if Minnesota's going to be able to run the football at all. Now, obviously, Eastern Michigan is a good MAC team. There's a reason why they won nine games last year, tied for the most in program history. But this is a team that has got to be able to run the ball, say, at least four yards per carry on Saturday from the running backs. I think, I don't think that's an outlandish goal, but they need to figure out who the best running backs are beside Sean Tyler because they need to Sean Tyler is obviously a slashing type of back someone that can get to the second level and break it Uh, he's an east west type of guy they got to figure out who their north south back is to pair with him as they continue to get closer and closer to big 10 play but yes if you're an eastern fan you want Minnesota to throw the ball another 30 35 40 times on Saturday because if that's the case the Gophers aren't having any success running the football now, if Minnesota is somewhere in that 25 to 30 range at the end of the game, I feel pretty confident in saying Minnesota probably won that football game by two touchdowns or so. So you want Minnesota to struggle to run the football because that means that you're going to see a lot of Ethan Kelly McManus through the air. And when uh, when Eastern has the ball, they're going to want to run the ball a lot too. Uh, as much success as they were going to want to try to find, you know, hey, 30-yard pass here, 40-yard pass there, they don't want to – you know they don't want to pass up on those opportunities but eastern michigan definitely wants to pound the rock uh to get some success that's how they got it done last year at arizona state too uh when they won 30 to 21 for minnesota to try to blow things up with the nick rossi defense they need some disruptors in that box who's the biggest disruptor that eastern michigan is going to have to worry about against that minnesota defense yeah, Minnesota's defense is why they have won so many football games, to be quite honest with you. Joe Rossi, their defensive coordinator, is one of the best, I think, in the Big Ten, one of the least talked about really good coordinators in college football. Minnesota has NFL talent back there, guys like Tyler Newbin, who had two interceptions on Saturday, or, or excuse me, Thursday night. Justin Wally is a nice player. Their best linebacker and Cody Lindbergh missed the game on Thursday night with a soft tissue injury. We're going to have to see if he's back for that Eastern game. But this is still a team that plays great team defense. I mean, 1 through 11. They know their role. They accept their role. 
And that's why for seven consecutive games, Minnesota hasn't allowed 20 or more points. They're one of the best in the country in terms of getting off the field on third down. They were second in college football on that last year. They're one of the best in scoring defense, one of the best in total yardage defense. But they want to force you into these second and third longs. And if that's going to happen, you're going to see guys up front like Jod Joyner, guys up front like Jalen Logan Red and Kyler Baugh. I mean, they have some new linebackers that they're breaking in, guys like Devin Williams, guys like Maverick Baranowski, former Western Michigan starter, Ryan Seelig back there as well. But Minnesota's thought to be improved up front. They return a lot of guys from year one last year as starters to year two this year as starters, and they're hoping that they take a jump there. But just team defense is what Eastern fans are going to see, that Minnesota – has historically done a really good job at stopping the run, and they're hoping to do that again against Samson Evans this weekend. But it, And if they're able to do that and they're able to pin their ears back a little bit, that's where they're able to do some stunts and twists and blitzes up front to try and get after the quarterback. Uh, yeah, and four turnovers, too, caused against Nebraska. Like That's got to be a really encouraging sign, I think. Yeah, that was the last part of the thing we really wanted to see was last year, like I said, top 10 nationally, Scoring defense, total yardage defense, third down defense, but they didn't force a lot of turnovers. Well, four turnovers in the first game, especially against a conference opponent, is the right way to start. Now, I don't know how good Jeff Sims is as a, is as a passer, but just being able to even strip a football away from a running back who's just trying to get a couple extra yards, that's exactly what you want to see in that Minnesota Stars came to play and that Tyler Newbin and Justin Wally. I can't imagine like he's asked to throw – too many times as a former Georgia Tech quarterback, though. Like, I don't know what his what his reps looked like coming into that program, but, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, so anyways, uh, special teams, you know, didn't look like it was the best for Minnesota. I, absolutely a strength for Eastern Michigan. Maybe, I don't know, if, if things get tight in this game, this definitely might be a difference maker, it's certainly in terms of, you know, yes, finding the points of, 80, 90-yard punt return, kick returns for touchdown for Eastern Michigan. That'd be great to replicate, but I don't think that's going to be a thing we can repeat every single week. Um, but good field position, that might be like a difference maker for special teams. Uh, 100%. And that's where Minnesota's punter isn't great. Uh, I would say you're going to get 41 yards if you need 41 yards. You're going to get 41 yards if you need 51 yards. And you just you get what you get with Mark Crawford. Now, the return game, Minnesota has struggled immensely historically. They haven't had a kick return touchdown since 2017. We're obviously in 2023 now. Uh, they haven't had a punt return touchdown since 2018. But I'm going to assume, because I've seen this happen before, uh, if when Minnesota goes against a good return team like Eastern Michigan obviously is, they're just going to have their kicker in Dragan Kesic, who's got a big leg, just kick it five yards deep into the end zone. And if Eastern wants to return it and potentially set themselves back 10 yards of field position compared to just a fair catch, so be it. But that was one of the worrisome things was uh, Nebraska obviously had a long kick return where the kick returner just veered to the right and no one was there. I mean, something that can't happen. It's not like he broke three or four tackles and then was able to find space. He just veered to the right, and Minnesota had some young guys get caught looking in the backfield and they weren't able to catch up with him. So I, you know, special teams has been an issue for Minnesota for essentially the entire Fleck tenure. And so if this game is close in the third and fourth quarter, I agree with you. Uh, 
I mean, I would say only 25, 30% of the time, I usually look up at the end of the game and think, did Minnesota special teams help them or hurt them today? And uh, usually the other teams did more to help their team than Minnesota's. Uh, Ryan, one more question and I'll get you out of here. A uh, quick plug for you. Uh, Gopher Illustrated of uh, 247 Sports, or however you pronounce it, uh, .com, uh, at Ryan Burns MN on Twitter or X, however you pronounce that. Final thoughts on this game coming up. Just what are you know your thoughts coming into it for Minnesota? What do you expect to see happen, or what do you hope to see happen? You know, what do you hope to see out of like some of the players that you get to cover? Yeah, I know the Vegas spread for this game is about twenty points, and Vegas thinks that this game is going to be somewhere around thirty-four to fourteen. I would be very surprised if Minnesota scored thirty-four points based on what I saw uh, the other night. Now, I obviously know a little bit of a step down going from Nebraska to Eastern Michigan. But again, I have a lot of respect for what Chris Creighton has done there. I mean, I think this is a pretty good team or one that's expected to at least get to a bowl game, uh, which again, I think of Chris Creighton teams is back when Jerry Kill was at Northern Illinois. They were tough, hard-nosed, well-coached teams. And so if Minnesota doesn't get off on the right foot and this game is close going into halftime, going into the end of the third quarter, I mean, watch out because it's here we go again with what Minnesota has seen. I think what I want to see from Minnesota is be able to run the football more efficiently. Again, having 18 carries with your running backs for 55 yards is never going to win you many football games in a flex-led offense. And they got to be able to figure out who some of these running backs are, what's their best offensive line combination. Defensively, I mean, Samson Evans, obviously a very talented tailback. So how does Minnesota try to mitigate him but also get pressure on the quarterback? And then special teams just try to be special. <laughs> I don't know how else to kind of phrase that. It's the first word but in it, just like student-athlete, right? What's the first word? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's don't have any glaring gaffes. I mean, I'm telling you, the bar for me for special teams at Minnesota is so low. I would love to just see 60 minutes of consistent play where – you're not losing field position because the punt returner didn't feel the punt and it bounced for 20 yards or your kick returner doesn't get stopped consistently at the 18 yard line or your punter when you need 51 gives you 39. And that's where, if this game is close into the second half, that's where those things start to matter. But I want to see Minnesota's offense. Number one, be much more efficient, whether it's the run game or the pass game than what we saw on Thursday night. Thank you for listening to another episode of Y11 Audio. If you like what I do, hit subscribe. If you love what I do, all I ask for is $6 a month, and you can get it all at ipsy11.com. I'm Alex Alvarado, and thanks again.